This is Dennis Michelson. Welcome to the Data Lab here on For Frequency's Sake. This is where all the important data gets sorted out so we can hopefully make you a better fantasy football player this season. We're going to be using the scientific method to break down the stats because we are two scientists, a meteorologist, that's me, Dennis Michelson, D-Mike, and I'm joined by the biologist, the PhD himself, the professor himself, John Bush. John, welcome back to the show. Uh, excited to be here, Dennis. Uh, I guess training camps are cranking up. There's going to be a lot of uh, data flying or opinions and hard to tell the difference sometimes. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, a lot. There's going to be a lot of smoke drifting and a lot of fog descending. So I'm going to try to stay above the fog a little bit and stay towards the data if I can. But there's going to be a lot of the emotions and you're going to, you know, everything you've been thinking potentially will be questioned and you could zig and zag the wrong way listening to too much so just be careful folks uh, when you're hearing all these training camp reports and the first week of videos is always so much fun because you'll see a spectacular catch made by a player and everybody will go oh look at this great play this great catch that Saquon Barkley made and he's going up against no defense at the time and he's stretching himself up to the to the you know to the clouds to to make a catch and he comes down in bounds and makes the catch and everybody's like oh my goodness he's going to catch 100 balls this year and my answer is quickly <laughs> not if Daniel Jones continues to throw that bad yeah. Because he's going to get killed when there's a real defender there to clean his clock. But <laughs> but I did learn a couple of things this this week already in training camp. Uh -oh. Apparently, Michael Thomas looks like he's 23 years old again. Wow. And apparently, Romeo Dobbs of uh, Green Bay is now the, the heir apparent to the Devontae Adams role as, wow. a, as the top wide receiver in fantasy football. It's wow. just a matter of time, John. These guys, <laughs> they've been self-anointed as being the great first day of training camp films, mainly because Michael Thomas ran without pulling up with a hamstring injury or an <laughs> ankle injury, no shoulder thing. He, he actually ran down the field like an athlete. Him. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and there's going to be the word, the magic word is going to be pitched around is chemistry. Oh, Ooh, yeah. the rookie has the chemistry, you know, the first week, the first day, the first whatever. Oh, well, the chemistry's there. Wow. Uh, you didn't know chemistry was so easy. I assure you, having had uh, organic and biochemistry, it's not easy uh, at all. So I, I hold off on the good chemistry comments. Let, let's see how it all plays out here. Oh, yeah, Dr. Fisher, uh, my organic chemistry professor, uh, uh, gave me a lecture on how tough organic chemistry is. No, uh, no. Uh, so that is indeed it. But we're here to talk about the data, not yep. just the crazy rumors behind the data. And yep. you did a recent study that really blew me away because we hear everybody talk about the running back dead zone 
in drafts, and your data tells us that at least based on the number of players picked, that there really is, is a yeah. definite zone. Talk about that. Yeah. So uh, this is, uh, I think it's already, the articles are out at uh, scienceoffantasyfootball.com. You can check them out, look at the data. But basically, I looked at uh, FFPC ADPs and round one, two, and three, pretty much uh, uh, each round six running backs were taken round one and two, five and round three. And then the next three uh, draft rounds, four, five, and six was three running backs compared to the wide receiver, six, seven, and six. So people are completely walking away from the RBs there and jumping on board with the, uh, wide receivers. So something, something is driving them away. And that's why I asked you to talk about, you know, we were going to get deep into the consistency. In other words, what, what does a dead zone mean? You and I had that off uh, microphone discussion because I'm not sure you and I can guess what people think it means. And I'm not sure people are sure what it means, but they heard it. So it must be cool to say, and it sounds like I know something, but to me, my two hypotheses, does that mean that these uh, RBs and around four, five, and six, are they at their ceiling? Are they uh, in fact uh, overvalued at this point? Are they just so inconsistent that you're better to, uh, stay and grab wide receivers at that point. There's, I can see three or four possibilities that need to be looked at a little bit. And, and here's my theory on why this happens. And this is not something new, but your data shows that it is happening with great frequency this year over on a website where people pay to play. So, oh, I, yeah. so I value that information more than I do if this came from ESPN.com and a bunch of free leagues where you don't know if five or six of the people left by the third round and went on auto draft. But my theory here is has nothing to do necessarily with the strength of the player available mm -hmm. in, in the fourth round at, at running back. It's the fact that there's two different ways to look at a fantasy football draft. One way is the way I do it and most analytically based people do it. And that is I look at the best player available. I don't necessarily look at team need in the first 10 rounds. If I'm, I'm drafting 20 players, I'm going to get enough running backs to fill out my lineup eventually. And I want value. It depends on the league structure if there's only two running backs and two wide receivers and, you know, one tight end and one flex and one quarterback, it's a tighter league. I might care a little bit more about the definition of how I build that team. Do I, cause I can only play three running backs at a time, but if I have a league that's got more players in it 
active on any given week. Let's say it's a 14-team league, and instead of one flex position, there's three flex positions, and I'm not even talking to super flex, whether that's in there or not, but there's three regular flex positions plus two starting running backs plus three starting wide receivers. Now, all of a sudden, I look at that opportunity and I say, I'll build with whatever's available because I'll have plenty of starting spots to put those players in, and I don't mind having six running backs in a lineup with me uh, in a league like that because I know I'm going to get good production, whereas wide receivers can sometimes be a little hit or miss after the, the top guys. But what I theorize is happening here and that what we're seeing in this FPPC data is not strength of player but it's philosophy of drafting. And I think we're seeing a lot of teams, that a lot of players in this 12-team league format, which is what this data is based on, that are starting their draft RB, RB, because they've been told stud running back. There aren't that many running backs. You've got to get your running backs early. And they've been told that for years, and half of them, picked a running back in the first round half picked a running back in the second round. And I would wager that three of those people went RBRB. So as you get to the fourth, fifth and sixth round, if you already have drafted two running backs and if you believe in balancing the team and drafting a little bit of everything, so you're strong at every position, you'd probably be skewing to the wide receivers no matter what. But what I look at this data and I see it, I look at, okay, I want to know who those players are. And we're going to talk about those players that are in this quote-unquote dead zone a little more in our Science of Fantasy Football podcast uh, later this week. But for our discussion here on the Data Lab, I'm not so sure it's the strength of player that's left. I think it's the drafting philosophy that is determining that people don't want to draft another running back because they already have two of them by the third round. The uh, I'm sitting there thinking while you were doing that, how could we test that? Mm, that's going to be tough. And I think if people are going zero RB, then actually those four, five, and six, that this would be, extra important so i'm thinking somebody did the opposite what and so the fact that there's not as many pick probably not many people are doing zero rb in the paid leagues you know so i i understand that so people talk about that but one might wonder if that's the case it looks like the data actual number count i'm not sure that's supporting the zero rb because that would say you know you're pe- you're picking two wide receivers probably a tight end and maybe even a quarterback the original way it's been a while since i've seen the original article but it was something like in the first four rounds you've got two a stud wide receivers, one of the top tight ends, hopefully one or two, one of the top quarterbacks. Then round five, six, et cetera, seven, 
you start harvesting what's left of the running backs. That was at one point, that was the traditional zero RB. And the fact that I see these numbers, you know, kind of getting with this, uh, you know, the psych philosophy here, I'm not sure a lot of people are going zero RB when there's uh, a little bit more serious money. I would not predict these numbers. I guess what I'm trying to say, if a majority of people were going zero RB, these numbers would not look like I see they're looking. It looks more traditional RB, RB, and then start tight ends or wide receivers or whatever. Yeah, and I would guarantee, or not guarantee, but I would predict just kind of the logic in me is predicting that in any group of 12 people, you're going to have a natural mix of all these different strategy techniques going in. Out of 12, you might have four people that believe in stud running back. I'm going to take running backs early and often until all the starters are off the board. And you've got maybe a third of the group that thinks that. you got maybe a third of the group that is going to say that they're going to support a best player available. They don't care whether it's tight end. They don't care whether it's quarterback, wide receiver, running back. If they think he's the best player in their scoring system, they're going to take him. Then I believe there's two zero RB guys out there out of every 12 that are are adamant that running backs don't matter because they get hurt every year. So I'm just going to load up on, on a bunch of backups and I'm not even going to, if I draft a good running back, I'm not even going to draft my handcuff because I want your handcuffs because somehow magically the other guys running backs are going to get hurt, not yours. So there's all these theories out there, but I have a feeling that the mix tends to skew more towards having RB heavy still be the traditional way to draft in redraft. And I saw this in a recent $50 league that I was drafting. It's a keeper league, so it's not a straight dynasty. So after my first four players, I don't care if I draft every old guy that's out there because I'm not going to keep them. I can only keep four next year. So I was picking 11th in a 14-team league. I am... Coming up on my round seven pick, and you know how many running backs I have so far? There's no telling. Zero. Zero. Wow. Did I plan this to be a zero running back league? No. But in my opinion, the best value on the board in round one was Mark Andrews at the 11th pick, so I took him. It's a heavy tight end premium league. You get two and a half points for every tight end reception. So I wanted an elite tight end. Kelsey was all already off the board. So I took Andrews. Coming around to pick number two, it's one and a half points for a wide receiver, uh, but it's skewed heavily towards the guys that score touchdowns because you don't get as many points per yard. I think it's like 15 yards or 12 yards before you get a point versus eight for rushing. So I saw Jamar Chase on the board, and I said he was a value at, at the fourth pick in the second round. So I didn't let him go. It is a wacky league that 
gives you a point for every 15 yards, passing yards as well, and six points for a touchdown. Mahomes was available in the third round. I'm a believer that the Kansas City offense would be just fine, so I took him. As the draft went on, I had running backs that I was targeting at each round. They either sniped, didn't get to me, or I thought I could get them in a later round. So I ended up with A.J. Brown, Brandon Cooks, Allen Robinson. I've got four solid wide receivers. I have zero running backs at this point. I'm hoping Kareem Hunt falls to me in the seventh round. That's where we are in, in our draft. But I am not worried because I'll get some PPR specialists and I will get some backup running backs. I will patch and fill and I'll make it work. The The hint here is you don't need to panic and get a running back just because they're going away. If you still value the other pick players, grab those players, beat the tar out of everybody in the wide receiver and tight end and quarterback matchup, and then just try to keep from bleeding in the running back matchup. But the good news is running backs do get hurt pretty often. So in a 14-team league, most guys only have two good starting running backs anyway, and some teams only have one. So I'm not going into those matchups down too much, but I've got four wide receivers that could all be in the top 15 at the end of the year. So I look at that as an advantage. I'm going to have a premium tight end. I'm going to have a premium quarterback in this, uh, this deal, this, this rule set, as long as Patrick Mahomes actually can throw the ball to somebody other than Tyreek Hill. (laughs) So I I think you probably didn't mean that uh, running backs get hurt and that's good news. The, The good news is your strategy is viable because of the rough and tumble position that running backs are. That is correct. We don't want to cheer for, you know, bad health and bad things. But there's 500, there's 500 bucks on the line. But, but Dennis, they got got guaranteed contracts worth millions. I'm just trying to make 500 bucks. No, people get cranky. I I hate finesse that. I hate when players get hurt, but Mm -hmm. players getting hurt is part of the NFL. If you don't like seeing guys get hurt, if you're too sensitive for that, then I suggest you start watching, you know, some other sport. But when I say it's good news, it's good news for my team build, not because I'm cheering injuries. Yes. Thank you for clarifying that. Well, I just know that. This, there's a lot of sensitive situations these days, and I just didn't want people to come at you. I want them to come at you for, you know, your stats and using science, you know, that because I know they're wrong about that. Not something that nobody can really, you know, what did he mean? Did he mean he wants them to get our, you know, it's, it's, that's crazy talk. So, I no, just didn't I, want you to get chewed on Twitter for that. No, anyway, I, and I uh, and, and I play in too many fantasy leagues yeah, anyway, so yeah. I'm not going to get out my my Jonathan Taylor voodoo doll and try right, to get an injury right, because I've right. got him in five yeah. other leagues. So. That's right. That's. But anyway, getting back, I think the numbers are probably saying that I th- even in the bigger money leagues. I guess, and and we could argue, does 
playing for money, money make you smarter or not, but that's the idea. I, I think we would have to test that some way. I, I'm not sure I have an access to the databases at FFPC and say ESPN to actually do ROI for, I mean, that's what we need in uh, horse racing. I know the daily racing form, their columnists actually have access to private databases and on occasion do publish books. And I've seen the actual in-house data, but they're going to charge you a pretty penny uh, to raid their data and you to get that. And I don't even know if that's out there, you know, that these sites would release that, but that would be how we could at least answer it that way. Which strategy makes money on ESPN versus FFPC? I would love that. It would be nice for transparency's sake, that they give that information to us versus little bits and and pieces out there. But I don't have access to the data. All I can do is look at the number of leagues that I've done. And on years, I have made a pretty penny going zero RB. And in other years, I got my clock cleaned. And so it's been really strange that strategy that uh, uh, has worked on, you know, years and that the year I'm thinking of, I think it was 2015, I made a lot of money and it was a strange year for uh, injuries. There was a lot of, of injuries and things that happened that year and some of the top running backs just didn't deliver. So that kind of – I was right at the right time in the right situation, and I, I raked a lot of money. And the opposite years, though, it didn't work that way, and I donated. So uh, – but I was uh, – I'm just about done uh, playing with the money I won in 2005. I bought a Frenchie Bulldog uh, – with some of the money, uh, and those are not cheap animals, I will assure you. So uh, just be aware that regardless of your strategy, uh, it may have just worked just by chance. In other words, you need a lot of data in your in your diary before you can conclude, you know, I'm damn good at Superflex, you know, I wouldn't want one or two or three leagues to tell me that. I would love to see 50 or 100 to look at that conclusion. So I, I do warn people about that approach as well. Don't get too giddy too quick if 2022 works out for you. Be cautious. Absolutely, because the last thing you want to do is flood all those winnings back in. Back in the next the year, yeah. And lose even more. So yeah. even though I've had two incredibly successful years where I've had a, a, a better than a three to one ROI, I'm not betting three times more money this year. I'm seeing a gradual increase of about 10% a year on my investments in fantasy football leagues. Even though, you know, some people would say, oh, if you're winning a lot, well, play more and you'll win even more. I know from horse racing 
that it doesn't work that way. You can have you can have the best analyzing system in the world for handicap in the future, and you're going to miss on the wrong days. One of the things that I encourage everybody to do is to keep that fantasy diary and yes. keep keep track of the type of league and the number of teams that are in the league yes. and, and the number of players that are in starting lineups. So in other words, do you do better in one flex leagues, three flex leagues, super flex leagues? Do you do better when you play in 14 or 16 team leagues? Do you play do better when you're in 10 or 12 team leagues? Know the format, know the number of teams, know the number of players in play I'll even put a little mark, check mark, or a little note on there, deep benches or shallow benches. Which leagues do I do the best in? Not over the course of just one year, but over the course of the last two or three years combined. See those trends. I know from personal experience that the more players are in starting lineups every week, so the more times it's a 14-team or a 16-team league or a 12-team league with five flex positions, the more starters are in that lineup, the more my data will pay off. And I know why. I'm finding the sleepers. Everybody can tell you that the top 10 guys are going to be great this year. Um, those are, are pretty much a consensus and we'll be wrong about two or three of them, but we'll all be wrong. I want to find the 10 players that are performing, outperforming their ADP by the most. Those are the guys I want on more of my rosters. Those are the guys that will pay off for me in deeper leagues. And that's why I play in deeper leagues. So the professor's uh, advice on a diary is fantastic. The professor's data on these FPPC drafts where people are paying money, yep. you want to pay attention to the trends and see if you can utilize this data in your home league to gain an advantage. So check out all of the articles over at scienceoffantasyfootball.com and come right back here next week for another edition of the Data Lab on For Frequency's Sake. Professor, we'll see them all next week. Uh, let's get to work, folks.